You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The Shadow Brokers are back and again mangling English like a bad scriptwriter doing Ensign Chekhov fan fiction. Russian leaders continue to scoff at American elections and WikiLeaks continues to leak. Microsoft doesn't patch fast enough to suit Google. Researchers consider the scope, threat, and mitigation of the Mirai IoT botnet. And Furby's back, but this time it's connected. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 1st, 2016. The Shadow Brokers came back for Halloween. You'll remember them as the group responsible for their successful late-summer doxing of the Equation Group and their unsuccessful attempt to auction off lots of what they said was NSA attack code. The auction was so ill-conducted that it's difficult to read it as a serious criminal attempt. In any case, the Shadow Brokers dumped an archive they called Trick or Treat online. The dump is represented as, and may well be, a revelation of server stage infrastructure used by the Equation Group. That is, it shows servers that may have been compromised in order to accomplish various cyber campaigns. The Equation Group is thought by most observers to be, roughly speaking, an NSA contractor. The shadow brokers are still writing their communiques in completely implausible broken English. A sample, quote, The shadow brokers is having special trick-or-treat for Americanskis tonight. End quote. No one actually writes or speaks like that, except in fiction, where either complete ineptitude or broad comedy would be on display. Flashpoint, who's suffered through the present participles, absence of articles, and matey malapropism, so the rest of us don't have to, thinks the goofy writing reveals a false flag. Which false flag is unclear? Presumably some guys in Eastern Europe who are hacktivist Robin Hoods. But Flashpoint also notes the shadow brokers tend to mirror Russian President Putin's jibes at the American political system. In the trick-or-treat dump, for example, the brokers deride American elections as free, as in free beer, a one-liner that aspiring stand-up Mr. Putin delivered recently at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum, either there or at open mic night at the Chuckle Hut. We don't exactly get it, since free beer seems no joking matter, but perhaps it plays better in the original. The Shadow Brokers, by the way, say they've still got lots of Equation Group stuff to sell if you act now. The evident connection between the Shadow Brokers and Russian security services feeds ongoing concerns about U.S. elections. Russia is generally believed, especially by the U.S. intelligence community, to be actively engaged in attempting to influence the vote. Forty-six states have now asked for federal help securing the elections they're constitutionally responsible for conducting. 
Officials are more worried about interference with voting than with direct manipulation of the tally. WikiLeaks has continued to release discreditable emails, with presidential candidate Clinton's manager John Podesta remaining the big catch in what appears to have been a successful fishing expedition. More doxing is expected before next Tuesday's voting. The FBI's newly resumed investigation into candidate Clinton's State Department-era email practices also continues. Google has publicly disclosed flaws its researchers discovered in Microsoft Windows and Adobe Flash. The Windows Zero Day Google disclosed is both unpatched and being actively exploited in the wild. It's a kernel vulnerability that allows an attacker to escape from sandboxing and execute remote code on the affected system. Google found the problem on October 21st and, in accordance with Google policy, made its discovery public after seven days. That policy, in place since 2013, gives vendors 60 days to patch a privately disclosed flaw if there's no active exploitation, but only a week if an exploit is out in the wild. There's no patch yet from Microsoft, and Redmond isn't happy with Mountain View. But Google is sticking to its commitment to go public within a week of discovery when there's active exploitation in the wild, whether or not the vendor has a patch ready. Adobe did patch the Flash problem Google found, and they did so last Friday. Some sources say that the Windows flaw required the Flash exploit before it could itself be exploited. And so, while Microsoft is still expected to fix the problem soon, the severity of the Windows bug is much reduced by the Adobe patch. Researchers continue to consider approaches to cleaning up Mirai and similar Internet of Things threats. One proof of concept, a white-hatted worm that crawls through IoT devices and changes their default passwords, is unlikely to pass legal muster. But the demo shows the way some people in the security industry are thinking. Nominium released their Fall 2016 Data Science Security Report yesterday, and among the issues they address is the October 21st distributed denial-of-service attack on Dyn, Nominium's head of data science and security, Yuri Yuzofovich, told the CyberWire that the attack was, quote, a wake-up call that put a spotlight on the importance of DNS and the impact of IoT-based attacks on the Internet and on service providers and enterprise networks, end quote. He thinks enterprises should use this event as an opportunity to consider their readiness to weather a DNS attack and to think through the implications of other kinds of Internet of Things-based attacks on their networks. There are many bad actors out there trying to take advantage of vulnerabilities where they find them. We checked in with Faro Mavituna from NetSparker to learn about cross-site scripting and how a feature called Content Security Policy helps thwart the baddies. Cross-site scripting uh, is a vulnerability that allows an attacker to hijack a session. So, for example, you are logged into an application and there's a cross-site scripting vulnerability in that application. An attacker can send you a link and when you click that link, that attacker will steal your current session and they will be able to do stuff that you can do as a logged-in user. So, if you are on a, let's say, if you are using Gmail and if there's a cross-site scripting in Gmail, right after you click a link, attacker will able to access your emails. So it's pretty dangerous, and it's a huge problem. It's a massive problem. So content security policy is a protection against cross-site scripting. If your website is completely secure against cross-site scripting, in theory, you don't need content security policy because, you know, you're already safe. It won't add any value to you. 
But in reality, we know it's very rare. The chances are you are vulnerable. And also, as a best practice, we always say unit defense in depth. CSP is something applied on the browser levels. So it's something your browser at the web server tells the visitor's browser, look, you can only load resources from these websites, a whitelist. You can say, never load any JavaScript from any domains, but from my own domain, or but from these whitelisted specified domain lists. And also CSP can say, and generally should say, don't execute JavaScript written directly on the page. They need to be referenced. So they need to be used script source element on the HTML instead of having inline JavaScripts, which generally used in cross-site scripting attacks. So effectively what CSP does, it tells your browser, do not execute JavaScript from another domain and do not execute inline scripts. And you got very granular control on these domains, these rules, and there are a bunch of other rules. It's very complex, actually, CSP. But when you do it right, even if you have a cross-site scripting, you can survive. It can be because you have proper CSP definitions, your browser will not execute the JavaScript, so attack will fail, despite of the fact you have a cross-site scripting on your website. So it's a very nice defense in-depth feature. It's, it's highly recommended because of how common cross-site scripting is and how hard it is to protect your website against it. So explain to me how someone would uh, implement content security policy. The implementation is generally through HTTP headers. You can also use meta tags, but HTTP headers is the most common way and generally recommended. That's Faro Mavituna from NetSparker. You can learn more about content security policy at content-security-policy.com. Finally, listeners of a certain age will recall the Furby, a fuzzly gremlin or troll-like toy that gained notoriety around the turn of the millennium for its unprepossessing looks, its wide eyes, its fuzzy hair, and its propensity to repeat things said in its presence. Well, the Furby is back in a new, more connected form just in time for the holidays. We assume Furbies are still banned from Fort Meade and its environs. Check before you bring one to work, kids. Loose chips sink ships. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Rick Howard. He's the CSO at Palo Alto Networks. Uh, Rick, uh, welcome to the show. By way of introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great joy to be on here. I'm a big fan of this podcast, and uh, so uh, I'm glad to be here. Um, I've been doing cybersecurity for a long time. Um, I'm an old Army retiree guy, did IT and cybersecurity for the Army. Uh, my last two, I ran the Army CERT for a couple of years where I coordinated offensive and defensive operations for the U.S. Army, which is a lot of fun. Went to the commercial sector and did a bunch of things, and now I'm ended up here being the chief security officer for Palo Alto Networks. And uh, you all have a, a fun name for your threat intel team. You call it Unit 42. Uh, tell us, uh, how, first of all, how you came up with that name, and then uh, what kind of stuff does Unit 42 work on? I love that I work at a place like Palo Alto Networks and we can do stuff like this. Uh, I got hired to form their first public-facing uh, cyber threat intelligence team. And so when I got on board and I had to write all the documents about what the team was going to do and uh, you know what, what kind of skill sets we were going to need and what kind of equipment we were going to need. And um, I was typing uh, in Word documents, right? And so if you type Palo Alto Networks Threat Intelligence Team, that takes up an entire line on a Word document. I don't know if you know that, but it is true. <laughs> so um, I got tired of doing that, and I'm kind of a sci-fi geek, kind of a fantasy geek. And as a joke to myself, I started calling it Unit 42 in reference to the old Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book where they have a running gag about what the meaning of number 42 is. Mm -hmm. And if you've mm -hmm. read the book or if you're a fan, you know that it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Of course. So I amused myself and put it into the documents. Well, our chief marketing officer is a bigger sci-fi geek than I am, and when he <laughs> saw it in the, in the draft documents, he said, oh, no, that's what we're calling it. So there you go, Unit 42. <laughs> well, what kind of stuff does Unit 42 do? Well, I mean, uh, the reason we decided to make a public-facing threat intelligence team is that uh, we have all these high-end uh, cybersecurity researchers at the company, uh, but they were mostly focused on making the product better and, and understanding you know, new threats coming down the road. We weren't really telling anybody about what we knew. And so as a community project, uh, 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 my boss, the chief executive officer, Mark McLaughlin, wanted a way for us to tell the world I mean, about what we knew about the threat and kind of goes with our philosophy in the company that we want to give intelligence to anybody who can consume it. Our idea was to take a bunch of high-end researchers and put them onto the data that we collect through our, our platform collection uh, grid uh, and then uh, make something useful out of it and tell our, our customers and anybody else in the world uh, what we think about the threat and how they can prevent those threats from attacking their networks. All right. Well, Rick, welcome to the show, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you again soon. Thank you very much, sir. I'm looking forward to it. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.